Hey everyone, and welcome back to The Perspective. I'm your host, Ethan, and alongside me is Alice Gretchen. Alice, how are you today? I'm doing great, Ethan. How about yourself? I am doing well. Thanks for uh, agreeing to do this. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. <laughs> I've never done a so, show before. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll get uh, a lot of good calls. Uh, I'm hoping for some variety, and uh, I hope you, most importantly, I hope you have fun doing it. Um, for those that don't know, we're a show that tackle paranormal and supernatural claims, belief in aliens, conspiracy theories, and pretty much any claim under the sun you want to bring us. And we apply a skeptic, friendly skeptics lens to it. Um, make sure you like and subscribe, share the video, all the good stuff. Um, real quick, before we get into our calls, uh, do you want to give us a brief background on yourself, Alice? Yeah, so I grew up uh, as a non-denominational Christian. Um, the type of non-denominationalism um, that most people might be familiar with would just be broadly classified as evangelical. Um, so I grew up watching uh, people be slain by the spirit, as they called it, um, which uh, did indeed look very supernatural. Um, and then at the age of 21, I became an atheist and I've spent a lot of time, years in fact, uh, researching that particular sort of paranormal phenomena to try to um, bring peace to my own self about what was really going on and what that was. Uh, so yeah, this, this whole thing is very, very up my alley. I'm fascinated by um, what people call the supernatural. And I like to say that I don't think there's anything super about it. There's just unknown natural. Um, yes. And there's a lot we don't know. And there's a lot of alternative explanations. And I think that that's very exciting, personally. I agree. And I think in most cases, there's a naturalistic explanation for it. We just may not know what it is. Yes. Okay. You ready to get to our first call? Yes, please. So this caller is coming in from Kansas. Uh, in, from Paranormal Analytical. Uh, the topic is about his first experience in church. So we've got Rick from Kansas. You are on with Ethan and Alice. How are you doing? Ethan and Alice, how are you guys doing tonight? Good. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time to call. So uh, what did you want to talk about? Oh, tonight um, I was uh, talking with some other people and we were asked to talk about our first experience in the paranormal. And um, my first experience in the paranormal, so to speak, was in the church that I was attending when I was nine years old. Okay. What happened? Well, um, I was raised in a very, very religious church at that time. And they had what was called deliverance services and uh, healing services. Um, these were held twice a month. And whenever these uh, services were held, the public was uh, basically asked to come in and, and uh, have the church pray for them for whatever reason it might be. And that particular night, I do distinctly remember this gentleman walking in and sitting down to the right side of where we were sitting. And... Um, as time went on, the, the pastor went ahead and um, asked if there was anybody that wanted to be prayed for, and, and uh, he got up and went forward. I mean, it was just a normal prayer service at that time. Okay. And he spoke with the gentleman for a while, 
and all at once he made a motion for the deacons of the church to come join him up in front. Um, at which time they begin to pray very, very earnestly over this man. And I know there's pro probably others that have been a part of these kind of services or been a part of the Protestant religion that believes in deliverance and things like that. And they started really, really, really getting into this prayer. Um, the atmosphere in the church just basically turned on a dime. Sorry, and you could feel kind of like line? in a, a... Excuse me? Could you repeat that? You said something turned on a dime. Oh, the atmosphere oh, the in atmosphere. the church. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. When you say and, it turned, um, what, so what, what we, do you mean? Like, how did it change? Like a blanket being tossed over. Um, it was heaviness. It was very heavy. I didn't know at that time what that meant. I just know that I felt it, and so did the others in the church. And at that time, after they started praying really earnestly with him, I started hearing from the front of the church kind of like a low guttural growl coming from this gentleman. And as they prayed more and more, the more distinct that guttural growl become. And um, it was intense. To say the least, it was very intense as far as what was being felt, what I was seeing. And all at once, they were almost like reaching a crescendo of what was going on in the church with the prayer. And this gentleman that was being prayed for threw his head back, and all at once, everyone, including myself, could see a black mist come from that gentleman and dissipate into the church. Hmm. And it was something that, like I said, I will never, ever forget. Almost instantaneously, as it went throughout the church, you felt an even heavier, heavier presence of oppression. And I'm mm. here to tell you, it took everything that I had within me as far as the spirituality to combat and to fight what I was feeling like something was wanting to take over or basically consume my spirit at that time standing in that church. So, And that is what has... Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, for, so for the record, what do you think it was? With the years of experience that I've had as far as um, dealing with the paranormal, quite a few years, I found that generally speaking, anything like this is going to be what's called a spiritual oppression, not a possession, but oppression. And hmm. once these are dealt with and once these are basically sought out, so to speak, to be delivered from the individual, they go, uh, they go out into the spiritual realm looking for other manifestations to, um, to be a part of, including humans. Could I ask you, Rick, what the difference is between a spiritual possession and a spiritual oppression, like what you're describing? Oppression is basically like being um, bullied. Okay, that's that's kind of like a good word I, I like to use because it is. I mean, you are basically so like under a demonic attack, but not murdered. necessarily possessed. Yes. Got it. Right. Right. Exactly. 
And this is what you feel as far as it can be one presence, it can be two, it can be whatever, but whatever that presence is, it's strong enough to sit there and spiritually attack you. That is the mm. difference between oppression and basically possession is when it has thoroughly taken over and thoroughly done its job as basically manifesting in that individual. Mm -hmm. This is a tricky one, especially like uh, uh, the, the, the black mist. Now, did other people see said black mist or was this uh, just you? No, there was other people that saw it too. There was probably, I'm going to say 15 to 16 of us that was in the church. And, and there was, oh, I'm going to say at least eight or nine of them because the reaction of those that were standing and sitting in the church was quite pronounced in that you knew they saw what I was saying. And there was, a, there was some gasping. There was some, you know, like, oh, 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 you know, they just, you knew that they saw what I saw. When you say you knew they saw what you saw, did you c consult with them after? Or you just believe they saw something? Oh, yeah, something? definitely. Okay. No, I definitely, I talked with um, probably six or seven of the other members of the church at that time. Remember, I was only nine years old, and I was basically at that time when this stuff was happening. There were two other people that come over and stood beside me, and actually one of them asked me if I wanted to leave um, the mm. sanctuary because of the, um, well, basically the importance and the um, overall ambience of what was happening happening in that church. And I said, no, I said, I, I want to stay. And they did mm. so. They did, they did allow me to go ahead and stay and, and be a part of that service. Hmm. What, what are your thoughts on this, Alice? So my thoughts on this. So Rick, when, as you're telling your story, I can't help but thinking of um, a lot of my stories from my childhood. Uh, so I grew up in a very charismatic revival, faith healing, demonic deliverance that, that all of, all of what you're describing um, I saw, I was first introduced at eight years old. So not, we're not too far apart from you. Um, and I, I definitely saw a lot of, um, I guess what we could call positive phenomena that in my churches was attributed to the Holy Spirit, but we also saw a lot of negative phenomena that was that would be attributed to the devil and the demonic realm. Um, my churches heavily emphasized spiritual right. warfare as the ultimate battle between good and evil that played out in us humans. Um, so what I hear, the, what what comes to my mind when I hear you telling your story was. Um, I remember when I was a kid, people in the church would claim to see gold dust falling as though from heaven, like the room, many people shared the sight of being able to see this gold dust and other people claim to have their silver tooth cavity fillings turned to gold. Um, and what I'm inclined to think that is now, um, because for me personally, I never experienced God personally, or the demonic realm personally, I just witnessed other people who were undergoing experiences that um, at the time they called God or the devil. Um, what I've learned in the research that I've done, um, talking with numerous doctors and therapists, because I desperately needed to piece my framework back together, was that there are, in, in those types of spiritual settings, there's often an element of um, 
hypnosis at play. And when I say hypnosis, I'm not saying like, you know, the, the guy with the little swinging bell saying, oh, you're feeling sleepy. It's, it's often induced through music, through um, speech patterns, through repetition of certain words. And when people, uh, I think a lot of churches do this organically without even realizing it's a form of hypnosis. Um, same thing at a music concert. You know, when you're at a music concert, you just feel a certain energy in the crowd and the, the lead singer has such a sway over the crowd. If they say, throw up your hands, you throw up your hands, you know. Um, I think that that also can exactly. work for Yes, I think that that also translates very often in spiritual settings where people get into a suggestible state where they're a lot more open and um, vulnerable and just uh, aware of shifts in energy. And a lot of times these shifts in energy, so a lot of people that tend to be drawn to faith healings or demonic deliverance ceremonies tend to have a lot of trauma in their life, like a lot of personal pain and grief that they've never dealt with or didn't deal with thoroughly that can come up in their bodies. And so that's where you get a lot of um, demonic symptoms such as uh, writhing, foaming at the mouth. Um, there's, I mean, this is this topic alone is so huge to get into, but basically what I'm trying to say is that a lot of times our suppressed emotional and psychological trauma can manifest physically in some pretty scary looking um, scenarios and collectively, we humans as a species are very good at sharing certain amounts of um, collective hallucination or uh, that go that go in line with suggestibility. So I remember one time, like when I was little, I used to think that I was seeing demons, like I would see like evil looking monkeys, like in shadowy corners, you know, and like I, as an adult, I was like, what the fuck was that? Um, because I don't believe in demons anymore, but what was I seeing? <laughs> uh, so, and I remember I talked with one therapist in particular who really helped me understand that um, humans, yeah, we're, we're very vulnerable to, uh, we're a visual species, most of us um, who have vision and we like to be able to see and therefore make sense of what we're feeling and witnessing and experiencing around us. So sometimes our minds basically might conjure up a sort of image or uh, like the black dust or the gold dust that was seen in my church to collectively represent our shared experience. It doesn't actually mean it's there. Like was any gold soot collected that you recall? I don't recall anyone in my churches actually having a little vial of gold dust and you'd think people would wanna take it home with them if it was there. Um, so right. that, that, mm -hmm. that's, uh, my personal, that's one of the things that brought me peace. Um, not to imply that you're looking for peace and I totally honor if, if that's your, um, what you experience. And my, I remember my therapist was very kind to first, cause I asked him point blank, I'm like, are demons real? I need to know. <laughs> and he was like, I want to be very careful how I respond to this because I don't want to invalidate the reality of your experience is what he said to me. He's like, I believe that you saw things. Do I believe they were actual demons? No. Here's some other alternative explanations for what they could be. Basically, um, psychological, uh, psychologically driven hallucinations to help make sense of an emotional state or repressed trauma that we were experiencing or joy. Um, so that's that's what that's what I hear and can't help but liken when I hear you tell your story, which yeah is really profound and um to have that at nine years old like i probably would have said the same thing as you like i, I probably would have been a little scared but no i, I want to stay and watch like what's going to happen next like what is right. this <laughs> yeah exactly 
And I do have to say, um, both of you, that um, this is what uh, propelled me into the paranormal. Uh, this mm. is what propelled me into my college uh, classes and things like that in religion. And it has that in itself. I'm a full-blooded Native American. And um, mm. that in itself um, also, uh, I, I, I had the best of two worlds, I guess you might say, because I, I'm, I'm now into the Native religion and into my culture more than I've ever been into anything else in the world now. Oh, Mainly wow. because what I saw and what I experienced in the pragmatic um, sense of religion, so to speak, is what drove yeah. me away from it. And basically, mm. just like you were talking about, I was a part of the praise and worship teams in three different bands. Mm. I played wow. keyboard and guitar and everything else like that. So I know exactly you in it. <laughs> what you mean when, when you mean when, uh, you know, you're setting the tone for what the people are going to be experiencing, the feel, the, the highness, the lowness, everything mm -hmm. that transpired in those churches are what basically I saw um, was almost a falsivity, if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. a reality mm -hmm. to some people because they took that hour of power, as they put it, and that's all they got. They got a high and then they got a low because the low was with them when they walked out the door. Mm, that that's sense? such an important component. Yes, that makes absolute sense. I remember we were told that after, you know, a three day conference or a weekend revival, you know, you're on the spiritual high. And when you go back home, you're going to feel really low. And I think chemical neurochemically, that's like um, a normal come down from any elevated state of opiate release that go that's going on in the brain with our neurotransmitters. And so I think that that come down, I was told was a demonic attack. Um, that, you know, the devil's really going to try to attack you now and wow. derail your faith because God did such amazing work in this setting. So, you know, we were warned of the low that you're talking about um, and they use spiritual terms to describe right. it. But as as an adult um, and as a very uh, spiritually curious skeptic, um, I've found that like, oh, of course, that's just a natural neurochemical low that your brain might need to go through um, because it can't stay in that heightened state all the time. You know, some, some people do. There are outliers that have brains that are just wired a little differently than most of us. But uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense what you're saying. So in just a moment, Rick, we got to um, move on to the next caller here shortly, but I do have a question. Are you open to the, sure. the possibility that the, this could have been even the smallest chance, but a visual hallucination. Not in the essence of what I saw. Now, this was more on a spiritual level and the intensity of what happened and the um, essence of what happened after and during that experience has stayed with me since I was nine years old. So, uh, no, I can't, I can't relate to that now. And okay. And you believe, you said you believe in the soul, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you know of any way we could test or investigate um, whether a soul exists or not in a reliable fashion? That is one thing we talked about on our podcast too, was the fact that we would, we've had guest appearances with other people that have come on. And that is one relative topic that we would love to look into also. Uh, as far as I know, 
I have no concept or any ideas as to whether or not there is such an experiment and or relative uh, proof that there is a soul. But at the same time, we do have um, audio and visual of the time of death of people and actually taking the weight of the individual at that time. And at the time of their death, it's been said that they've lost up to two to three grams of weight. And that was basically the soul or the spirit leaving the body. So real quick, I know I'm familiar with the study you're referring to, and it was actually debunked. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate. Oh, okay. Uh, so that part is, is not true. Um, I wish I had the article handy. If anyone in the comments uh, section right now remembers the study and can provide a link, that would be awesome. Um, but Alice, did you have any final questions? Um, I just, I wonder, Rick, if what you describe as soul, maybe for me and my um, verbiage, I might describe as energy, like the energy of being conscious. Like when I hear soul for me, because I don't quite believe in souls as in like a subjective spirit that lives on after our body dies, I do see evidence for energy and consciousness Um, so I wonder, I'm just curious as a soul believer, what you, do you think that maybe what you call soul and that, that essence leaving the body, do you think that there might be a possibility that it's what I call energy, just the energy of aliveness of consciousness that just ceases to be? Um, do you think that, do you, do you find any resonance with that or common ground or possibility for that? I'm just curious. I do. I do. I, I truly believe that with you also, as far as, I mean, I, I don't get too um, caught up in the semantics of soul energy or anything like that. It is yeah. a collective um, unit of what we are in the essence of spirit, soul, and, mm. um, you know, whatever else you want to name it. But mm-hmm. uh, energy is definitely something that we all were born with and something that we all uh, transfer one to another on a daily basis. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, we definitely affect each other's energy fields for sure. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why. Like, that's one thing I've always wondered. Perhaps I'm just lacking the knowledge in that area. But like, I know, for instance, like my laughter can be pretty contagious. Um, <laughs> or goofy. I, at least I've been told that. Um, but I also know my like anxiety is contagious because I've seen the effect it has on other people when I'm just anxious as hell. And I, I, I don't fully understand why that happens. And I wish there was a way to mitigate it. Like when I'm anxious, the only thing I can think of to do is to hide away from everybody because I don't want my, mm. m- how I'm feeling to affect their energy, for lack of a better word. Well, I have a little theory on that. that I we think can we have that ability as an individual to psychosomatic be able to, in fact, as I say sometimes, individuals upon what we are experiencing at the time that we have these feelings and this energy of negativity or positivity or neutralism even can affect anybody in the room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so real quick, we do have to wrap up. Rick, what was the name of your podcast? Just so the audience watching can name our up. podcast. Name of our podcast is called Paranormal Analytical. Uh, my producer is Eddie Hill. They're from San Antonio, Texas. I'm in Kansas. 
And we have another gentleman that uh, flies in with us now and then up, clear up in Pennsylvania. So we have a quite a quite a broad brand, so to speak. And uh, we enjoy anybody that would love to be able to get on and talk with us. We do the same thing as you guys. We have a chat room. We have interaction between any and everybody that uh, comes on the show. Awesome. Well, Rick, thank you That's so much so cool. for taking the time to call in today. Yeah, Rick, lovely chatting with well, you. Thank you, Ethan. All right, let's get back together, and I love talking with you guys. Thank you so much. All right, sounds good. You have a good one. <laughs> you too. Bye. Night, night. What did you think of your first call? I liked it. I like I like you, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> I love discussing these types of things, and I love hearing how how everyone um, contextualizes things differently. Uh, right. And and yeah, it's it's fascinating. I mean, who isn't fascinated by this stuff? Like it's it's fascinating what the human mind, body, what the human experience is capable of. Right. And I will say, I, I think you're a natural at this. You're killing it. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> All right. So we've got a couple of calls on hold. Let's get to okay. our next one. Uh, is a theist with a ghost story. Um, after that, Ooh. we have someone calling in about the Kalam cosmological argument. So please wait on hold. Ooh. We will get with you shortly. But in the meantime, Christine, you're on with Ethan and Alice. How are you today? Christine? Uh, yes. Hello. Hey, you're on with Ethan and Alice. How are you today? Hi, I'm well. How are you? Doing good. Oh, I hear you got a ghost good. story for us. Um, yes. So this takes place about six years ago. I was in a large building called Mizzou North as part of the University of Missouri system. It was formerly a hospital with an associated morgue, which is neither here nor there per se. But I had a, an office in that building for about two years. And I went down to the basement where there was a cafe. It was called Cafe 115. And I got some coffee and a breakfast from a buffet. And I'm about to pay. I'm standing in line. And I see a gentleman walk in through the front doors, walks past me. And he's wearing like black slacks and a dress shirt, has black hair. Um, didn't get a good look at his face, but I saw him walk in and kind of register him. I saw him walk to my side. And I finally got to the cash register, but I feel him like breathing or I feel someone breathing down my neck and getting impatient. Ooh. I'm trying to find money in my wallet, juggling my breakfast and my plate. And this person is starting to breathe harder on the back of my neck and encroaching on me. And I can feel this person making contact with the back of me. So I turn around to say something to this person who I assume was a person I just saw walk by, I turn around and nobody's there. So I turn around to the person who I've been talking to for the last year while I've been in this building. And I said, wasn't there a gentleman that just walked in that was standing behind me? And she said, no. I said, are you sure I just saw somebody walk in and was standing behind me getting impatient? She's like, no. I said, oh. And she goes, well, it's probably just our ghost. And I said, excuse me? And she goes, yes, we had a lot of people quit the kitchen staff because there's a ghost, according to some of the kitchen staff, that's been taunting them and bothering them and pulling on their hair and driving them crazy. So we've lost a lot of employees. And I was just like, excuse me? But that's Rude. my... 
Sounds yeah, like what a real ghost. <laughs> yeah, it was just weird. It, it was just strange. But to to look at the person and say, wasn't it somebody there? And she's like, no. And then I proceeded to challenge her and say, you know, what is this? And then she tells me again. What's even weirder is about two months later, that kitchen um, catches on fire. And one of the director of the museums told us um, that they had videos and they see stuff moving in the kitchen and it catches on fire. And the fire department could never figure out what caused things to move around and catch on fire. And that's what closed that kitchen. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it was just strange. It was just a strange series of events, but that's only one time that building I ever had anything weird happen. But yeah, that was, that was it. So is that the reason you believe in ghosts or is that just, is that the story you think is most convincing? Um, I think the reason I believe in maybe ghosts or spirits or supernatural, whatever term one wants to use is because I'm an anthropologist and I've done a lot of reading and research and I've been, I teach at the University of Missouri, I teach in the anthropology department and I'm trying to understand all this, what you would call paranormal, try to understand it cross-culturally. I'm also an archeologist who studies shamanism. And so I've been doing that for the last 20 years so I'm trying to understand how we as uh, within our neuroscience understands um, spirit perception, but also culturally, but worldwide and through time, humans have always believed in these things. And there's a lot of compelling evidence that humans have um, parlayed toward this great subject matter and lots of information. And we think some of the earliest rock art and 35, 40,000 year old cave has to do with these things we call shamanic trance, where they're in altered states of um, trance communicating with the spirit world. So there's a lot of evidence, and I think that that's probably why I believe is just the propensity and the robustity of all this evidence. You, you have to wonder, are, are, we, are all these other cultures, I mean, we're really anomaly on the, the planet Earth. This modern Cartesian scientific thinking is not our norm, and this separation of body and spirit is very unusual in the human experience of anatomically modern humans um, for the last 250,000 years. I see your wheels turning, Alice. What do you think? <laughs> um, well, first of all, I'm, I'm so sorry. Remind me your name again, you who called? Christine Van Poole. Christine. Christine, okay, first of all, I just have to say you sound super cool. Like you sound so interesting. Everything that you're describing, like all of your interests that you study. <laughs> no, like I'm I can nerd out on this stuff. Like this is these are like my hobbies. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Kindred about Neanderthal death, life, and art. Um, it's fascinating. And uh, I love, I, so I also love studying ancient humans and other species of humans um, in particular. Uh, so uh, yeah, that said, like, I wonder, um, because you, you spend so much time looking into the past of human history, and like you mentioned, you know, cave art, and uh, how you correlate, uh, you know, the, the, the connection you made between how, how humans have always sort of had this connection to what we call the spirit realm. Um, but we'll just use that term for now, just to keep things simple, even though I agree with you, it has many synonyms. Um, but do you suppose that maybe there's all of this evidence that humans have had a connection with what we call the spirit realm? Because 
we did not yet have the tools or capacities yet to effectively measure um, other possibilities for what it might be. And so, like, for instance, um, so many ancient humans believed that, uh, you know, Earth is like the center of the universe. They didn't know what stars were. Now we have tools to help us measure and determine, oh, stars are this, you know, we're actually looking into the past when we look up and they're balls of gas and light, they, they, they look like light to us. Um, I wonder if the same sort of, uh, uh, rigorous discipline can and will be applied to what we call um, spirit, the spirit realm. You know, maybe it's, I, I'm inclined based off of the knowledge that I've come across to think that what we call spiritual are really just um, to be determined depths of exploration uh, into our psyche and what our consciousness is capable of. I'm not inclined to think that there's anything literally spiritual about it or other realmly, but simply that it's uh, our, our psychology that we just have not yet developed the tools or capacities to effectively measure in a quantifiable way. And so that gives us humans, both past and present, um, nothing better to conclude than that there must be a spirit realm. And I wonder with you having your, your background, if you could see evidence for that as well, or if you're more inclined to believe, oh no, there is definitely a spirit realm. Let me um, suggest this. I like your discussion of the stars. So right, definitely several hundred years ago, people thought there was a fabric and pinholes, there was a light source behind the fabric and that stars. And as we mm -hmm. have developed telescopes and modern science and astronomy, we are beginning to understand that there are balls of gas out that. That is our developing science. So science has always been a methodology to understand the empirical world. And I think that's really a key thing is that Cartesian scientists understand the empirical world and it too is changing and developing. So we don't know what this is gonna look like in a hundred years as we gain more understanding mm -hmm. and better tools to understand the empirical record and so i would say the science is always necessarily for studying the empirical but part of that is how do we measure the empirical so how do we measure gravity we're not really per se measuring gravity we're measuring the effects of gravity are you following what i'm suggesting yeah 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 totally mm -hmm. yeah so, totally. so in that process so all we can do is say that science is going to be empirical and all we can do is set up these parameters to understand that effect that we can measure empirically. And therefore, um, where science gonna go with the star analogy with false gas, I don't know. But when we get to the problem with spirit, therein lies the problem straight off because we're trying to figure out the causal relationship of the unseen light gravity to under, understand what empirical impacts it has. So that should not limit mm -hmm. us as scientists to understand how spirits might work. What I find really fascinating is that people are so sold right now on science as empirical reality without thinking about, well, a lot of the empirical reality we can't really measure. And so when you get to quantum physics and quarks and strings, those things we can't really see yet. All we can do is hypothesize and make theories to understand them and then put into play these tests. And so some of the issues might be interesting to think about in the future. How might we begin? And you guys have been asking this a lot. And uh, something I spent a lot of time thinking about is, you know, how are we going to set up 
these terms and language to begin to understand whatever this thing is, energy, consciousness, soul, mm -hmm. whatever, to figure out what, how it manifests itself to measure it. Does that make sense? So I was going to say, yeah. that, me, I don't have an answer, but I think that if we're going to start, you know, giving science or try to understand it from scientific, we're going to have to shift our way of thinking about it and to shift out of a Cartesian, strictly empirical science, I would suggest. And we're starting to do that. Physicists are doing that with quarks and string theory and other things as well. Yeah. So Ethan, I see your wheels turning now. What do you think? So I, I, I want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly, but um, shouldn't the, uh, the science we're using to test this be consistently reliable? Like, why would we want to look for a, a, another method? Well, every science, we have new methods. Let's take COVID, for example. Do we want to use the method we had 20 years ago with vaccinations to work with the new modern method? No, of course not. Yeah, so I, I would just say, I mean, I'm just, you know, thinking about it, that everyone is really sold on empirical world. And I believe that's what science should do. And that's what we, we should do. But where we're getting limited is what in my field in anthropology and with the social sciences is everyone a priori dismisses spirits. And if it can't be spirits, then any empirical phenomenon by definition cannot be spirit. So therefore we can't really test it because it doesn't exist in at least in the academic world of which I'm in right now. So you're saying right now with our current technology set, uh, we have no way to test the what you would refer no, to. No, I'm not like saying that. Okay. No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is that most people are not willing to flip it on its ears and think about if spirits were real. If, that's a big if. If spirits were real, how should they manifest physically and what tests could I set up to test mm. them? I think the paranormal crowd's trying to think about this. Um, and there's not been a social science um, test of this, but those are some of the issues I've been thinking about that plays into Rick and other people's, you know, if it's psychology, then yes, I agreed with, is it Alex? So I was listening to you and not seeing the name, but you know, is it what we might call mass hallucination? Um, those type of things, some type of contagion. We also talk about mirror neurons, monkey see, monkey do. We are really good at catching each other's emotional state. That's probably mm -hmm. up to social creatures for development and making sure we work in social groups really well, at least through our evolutionary history. But I would suggest that that works well, that, that case, and there's definitely some psychology, but what happens just, what happens if there's something outside of our brains that impacts our brains. How do we test for that? How do we study that? We what I hear you saying. Time. The fact that you can have anxiety and feel it, right? We mean something is happening between us as humans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What I hear you saying is, um, and, you know, correct me if I'm, if you feel like I'm putting words in your mouth, but what I'm taking away from what you just said is that perhaps the the, the scientific community and humanity as a whole could maybe benefit if we were to explore developing tools that are maybe not limited by an empirical materialist worldview. Would that be accurate? Right, and so a Native American ontology, a different worldview that um, a lot of my work has dealt with Native American belief system and I have some mm -hmm. articles, things like spirit in the material 
where certain Puebloan groups from the American Southwest believes that a piece of pottery that they make is as much spirit as it is physical. And in their mind, their discussions for why a pot has a spirit is when it cracks, it lets out the cry, the voice of the vessel. Of course, we as scientists would necessarily understand, well, that's because you broke the pot and it uh, lets out that ping or clang mm -hmm. as part of the substance breaking. And that's a, a physical property of it. But they would say, well, that's the spiritual property of it. And that's a case of they have mm -hmm. a different way of thinking about the world and a different ontology. They, they can use the same sort of data we'd use in our physical realm to talk about the pot having a soul. Hmm. Mm -hmm. That's their evidence they would bring is listen to it. If you break it, it's going to cry out. And so they would say, you know, pottery is a very dangerous thing to put clay formed in a fire. Fire is an animate being. It is demanding and is dangerous. So you have to feed the fire. You have to say prayers to the fire. You have to give a sacrifice into the fire, into the kiln. And that's what Native American Pueblo, Puebloan potters still do today. Many of the traditional ones put in a gift of corn and other things into the fire to make sure the fire is kind and gentle to their, their pottery. And that's how mm. they have a knowledge and engagement with reality in which they find themselves. That's their ontological reality, which is so different than a Cartesian reality that we face in a Western construct of the world. Sure. Yeah. No, everything you're saying makes, uh, makes a lot of sense to me. It's, that's fascinating. Oh, so we got about. Uh, I'm not saying they're right, are they wrong, or I'm right, or you know, wrong. I'm just saying there's just lots of ways we as humans can look at the same material uh, manifestation. Totally. That's all I'm suggesting. Okay, um, we got to wrap up in just one minute. Alice, did you have any last questions? No, I think uh, I think that probably would have been my last question. Um, again, Christine, yeah, it's fascinating. I love that you're so um, passionately interested in these things and. Uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm so grateful for people like you who are exploring and delving into it and trying to merge different um, measuring systems. Uh, I think that's a very brave space to be in, in in the academic realm to be curious about things that are considered, you know, woo woo or spiritual. And so I'm grateful that there are mm -hmm. academically trained science, scientific people like you who are willing to explore this. I lean more on an empirical materialist view myself, but I so appreciate that there's people like you that um, don't settle for just an empirical worldview as like, that's, that's it. Because there is, I do think that there's so much more that we don't know. And so thank you for being one of the, the historians who's willing to explore that. I think that's uh, incredibly brave, actually. Christine, thank you so well, much thank for you. taking the time to call in today. Thank you for your time. All right. I thank hope you. Have a good one. Um, question, Alice. So should yeah. we really be in the scientific community veering off the empirical method? So, no, I think that I, I, I greatly appreciate that the scientific community um, employs the empirical method. I do think that there's... Um, so one of the... Perhaps the most distinct way that I can articulate it myself is... Uh, we know tear. We know tears come from like tear ducts, right? Like we can explain what tears are and their function that they serve for the health of our mm -hmm. eyes and emotional purging. But um, what I've personally not quite been able to explain, and I can I can have my theories, is like 
how words can words which cause feelings make tears come um one could say oh like like christine mentioned mirror neurons like oh well we have empathy when words when we feel the, the intent of hurt in someone's words um we might cry you know like i can right. i can rationalize it to a certain extent um that said i think there's still something uh i think there's still so much mystery in the realm of human psychology, human emotion, human just consciousness. When I hear soul, again, I just translate that to consciousness. And I think okay. that um, the question like, I, so, you know, I, I've, I've talked with you about mystical experiences and how I'm not yes. able to have any so by sober means, but on psychedelics, I absolutely have a mystical experience. Right. I've, I don't think there's a human alive that wouldn't um, if you took a tab of LSD or ate a psilocybin mushroom. To me, the question is why are we capable of even having these sorts of interactions with plants, what people call plant medicines? Mm -hmm. um, I think that that's fascinating. And I think that that's something that the empirical method scientific realm um, tends to veer away from exploring because there's not a whole lot of answers or ways to test, like, why do we have this? You know, we can understand right. how it works. We can understand the neuroscience of like what's actually going on in the brain when one is having a mystical experience by psychedelic, medicinal or, or sober means. But why do we have them? Um, I think that that I think that uh, I hope the scientific community continues using its empirical um threshold as a testing ground, I do also very much uh, appreciate that new methods will be uh, developed alongside the empirical method that can help us maybe learn more about why do we even have these states? I think there's still so much that we don't know. Um, right. And a lot of people would classify me as an agnostic, I've been open to the about the fact that I think everyone's an agnostic. I think there's agnostic Christians, agnostic Hindus, agnostic oh, atheists, because <laughs> who knows? I'm the um, yeah, same here, same here. Um, I lean towards atheists because, and definitely veer more on the skeptical side of an empirical materialist side of things because I don't want to waste any more of my time, like I did as a believer, um, with this one life that I am you know, pretty confident that this is it. I don't want to waste it believing in things that I, I'm not convinced of and that I don't experience. But I, it does bring me great joy to wonder and to be curious about why why are we capable of these mystical altered states? And can they be measured with an empirical materialist worldview? Does that scientific community even have an interest in measuring this? There are. There are. They, they are there, but they get a lot of flack. Um right. So, because it's, you know, you're not going to win a lot of accolades exploring this type of thing, That's I true. think. <laughs> you know, I was, I'm a little disappointed because I tried to line up a caller specifically for you. It is an individual who is oh. adamant that God exists because of DMT. And he, mm. he argues for this consistently. And I'm like, I was <laughs> trying so hard. I'm like, please, if there is anyone you ever want to speak oh. to. It's Alice. Please, please oh. call. But he would <laughs> Oh, well, if you're listening, I sure would like you to call. <laughs> um, yeah, DMT, I think, is one of the most fascinating uh, keys to understanding consciousness, I think. And I do, you know, uh, 
you know, people may not be thrilled to hear me say this, but I do want to try it. I, in fact, I'm kind of eager to try it, but I'm also very hesitant and scared because of how it's been described to me. And I am big into like, while I like to experiment, I like to have complete control over my mind. And DMT mm. scares me in the sense that what if I have a hallucination so vivid that I'm really not interpreting the real world around me and I'm kind of, I'm not in control anymore. And not being in control scares me. That is understandable. Uh, yeah, by nature, I'm more of a control freak too, but I've definitely had, <laughs> I've definitely surrendered and not liked the surrender and had bad trips and overall though, very positive experiences with DMT and other psychedelics as well. Um, and I'm still an atheist. A lot of people say, oh, you know, atheists are atheists until they do mushrooms or DMT. And it's like, there's again, there's so many alternative explanations for what that right. sort of love figure that you encountered could be um, that I'm not willing to settle on a blanket opinion that that's definitely proof of God. It's like, no, it's not. It's like there's something again to me. The more exciting question is like, why are we capable of this? What actually is it? I'm not willing to settle for some ancient antiquated idea of God or spirituality. I actually want to know what the fuck is up. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Before we get to our next caller, I just want to read out the super chats. Asexual atheist. Thanks for introducing us to Alice G. Love the combos. Uh, native atheist. I believe in spirits. And then a meat. Could this not be a tradition spirits. of ancestor worship that has just been passed through culture? Sorry, I did not get to that while the caller was on the line. Um, all right. Our next caller wants to talk the Kalam cosmological argument. So, Joe, you are on with uh, Ethan and Alice. How are you? Hey, Ethan. How are you? Hi, Alice. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? You can hear me all right, right? Yes, I can. Yeah. So. Yeah, okay. Hey, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm the guy who was criticizing you on uh, on the comment section, just telling you, you know, to do like a Christian atheist thing or a theist atheist thing. So. Oh, I yes. And then I, I, I uh, uh, sent you a clip of the one show I did with an atheist and a theist together, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like yes. That. And I, I don't know. I just like, I like the idea. Yeah, I agree with like, some of your criticisms. Oh, sorry. Sorry. There's a delay. So sometimes we'll talk over each other. I apologize. Um. But yeah, I would actually like to get that show back up where we have an atheist and a theist co-hosting together. Um, I think it makes for some really interesting conversations. Um, the difficulty I'm having right now is finding enough theists to where I can book the show, you know, say two months out. Right now I've got, you know, just one or two theists in my back pocket that could do it and they don't have the type of commitment where they could commit to like every week. So for those watching, if you know any good, you know, YouTube theists that may be interested in co-hosting on a call-in show, please have them contact me because uh, I definitely need to get more. Um, I may so, have someone for you. I'll tell you later. Please send them my way if you do. <laughs> um, so, Joe, was it the Kalam that convinced you or is it just an argument that you find most compelling for God? Oh no! I just think, uh, you know, I, I've I didn't grow up as a theist. I wasn't a theist my whole life. I was more of an agnostic. Just thought, oh, okay, that's the most reasonable position. Okay. You know, nobody knows, right? 
then I started studying like, you know, some of the uh, different arguments, the argument from contingency, which to me, that, to me, that's the best argument almost. But uh, the column is the simplest, that, you know, so and that's probably so, the easiest for you to talk about. I've seen, you know, I watched a bunch of your stuff. I watched all your Joel uh, back and forth. Um, Joel's a real smart guy. and uh, He is. Watch your Dean Meadows. I'm actually really critical of most of the online atheist community. I'm I'm not really particularly <coughs> well, a big fan, but I think you're a real nice guy. So, well, thanks. And Alice, you seem really nice. Uh, I saw Jeez. that uh, you're an actress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actress, uh, uh, writer, uh, founder at Dare to Doubt. Um, so, anyways, let's jump into the kalam. Uh, could yeah, you please educate me? First? I have no idea what what that even is. Sorry. You don't? No. Okay, what is the Kalam? I'm oh, like a new. Okay. Let me pull up the Kalam. I wish I had this memorized. Uh, I'll go through. Okay. Yeah, yeah Joe. Give me, yeah. Tell us. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's really a simple argument. I think a lot of the atheists like to talk about and say uh, it's nonsense or whatever. But it, it's an old argument. But this guy named William Lane Craig is one of the very more famous apologists and really a, he's a brilliant guy. But, uh, he brought it back, and it's just a simple argument. It goes, everything that begins to exist has a cause. That's the first premise. The second premise is the universe began to exist. The third premise is the universe has a cause. So for me, I have to reject the first premise because we how, how do we demonstrate that everything that began to exist has a cause? Yeah. Uh, well, I would say this is, this is uh, I mean, this is probably the most, all science is based on this cause and effect. It's the most empirically sound thing that literally, it's, it's not even a uh, physical principle, it's a metaphysical principle that all effects have causes. Things don't cause themselves. I mean, these are, it's a metaphysical principle that it's, it's pretty much, you can, I mean, you can deny anything you want if you don't like where the where it is, but I think it's pretty obvious that you know things that begin to exist have causes. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. So, I mean, what do you mean demonstrate? We can't do a scientific experiment and say, okay, what do you, I mean? If you can give me an example of something beginning to exist without a cause, or if you can show me that, then I, I mean, I'm skeptical of that. You know, you. You're you're a skeptic, right? When if somebody told you something began to exist without a cause, you'd be skeptical of that, right? Of course, I'd be. I, I'm skeptical of everything, but where I'm getting caught up is the everything that begins to exist has a cause. Because while we don't currently have any examples of um, something just popping into a, a existence without a cause, we still can't assert that everything does have a cause. Uh, uh, now, what if I said, uh, can you make a square circle? Can I make a square circle? Is it possible? Well, no, a square is a square. Well, what if I said, how do you know that you can't make a square circle? Maybe you can. We just haven't done it yet. But by definition, a square is a square. It has four sides. Yeah, but maybe there's something you never know. We could make a. I'm just kind of, you know, trying to play the same, you know, 
it's pretty obvious that things that begin to exist have causes. I mean, tell me something, it, how something can begin to exist without a cause. How right, but just because I, I can't give you an example of that doesn't necessarily make the argument true. Well, you're, you're not, you're just saying, I don't believe you. I mean, how, how, I mean, there's no argument that I could say where that you could make up where I could just be like, yeah, I'm not convinced. Right. Alice, do you think it's more likely that something can begin to exist without a cause or <laughs> what do you think, Alice? I think that, that we don't know. What I hear you saying is, um, I keep thinking of this this book that I love and the title is Why Does the World Exist? And it's basically, why does anything exist? Why is there something rather than nothing? And so when I hear you talk about cause, right. like what is, what is the cause of the Big Bang is kind of what I'm hearing maybe you're suggesting. For me, I'm not convinced that there's a cause, I'm not convinced that there isn't. I I like to, to me, it feels far more truthful um, to acknowledge that we don't know and to not assume that everything has a cause any more than assume that everything doesn't. Um, so I, I hang out in that space of just wonder and um, probing curiosity. Uh, I don't want to feel safe in a truth that I cannot, um, that I don't have evidence to actually back up just because it's opposite might seem evidential, if that makes sense. Oh, uh, well, you know, the evidence is that things that begin to exist have causes. I mean, <laughs> I think that's pretty Most obvious. things, but, uh, most yeah, things, but I don't think it's necessarily a must personally. I think like, hmm, like I'd have to, I'll have to give it more thought. Like this is definitely something I'm gonna be chewing on, but I don't think that a cause I don't think we have proof that that a cause must be necessary for anything to exist. What if existence just existed? I don't know. Like, I'm not sure. <laughs> no, that's not that's not the first premise. The first premise is anything that begins to exist has a cause. So that's well, question. beginning implies time. So yes. Excuse me, I didn't hear you. Oh, well, when you when you throw it, I overlooked the word begin. When I hear begin, that implies time. And so I could see yeah. the logic of a cause. But the more I learn about space time, the more um, disoriented I am. And the more it's like, whoa, like there's actually so much we don't know that I don't want to feel I don't want to rely on a measure of time or a beginning as a, a basis for me to determine the facts of life from if because I think there's still much so much more we need to understand first about time. So Alice, okay. is it uh, safe to say that both you and I reject the first premise of the argument? Yes, I think it's safe to say that. Okay. Did you want to move okay, on so to the right. second premise or did you still have uh, more you wanted to go okay. over with the first one? Okay. Well, you know, if we if we don't get past the first premise, then there's no point in discussing that anymore. But I'll, how about I'll just go to that in a different way? Uh, it won't be the clown, but I'll uh, try to argue a different way. Is that all right? Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Okay. So we we both agree we agree the universe exists, right? Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. So I I think there's probably three explanations for, for the universe. Either the universe is eternal, it has always existed. The universe began to exist caused by nothing, or the universe began to exist ca caused by something. Do you think those are the three choices or do you think there's others? 
So basically, either I think we can narrow it down to two: either the universe began to exist, or it didn't begin. Is that accurate? Uh, if if you want to, I mean, if you want to look at it that, that way, that's fine. Um, I, I guess I I personally I I could be overlooking something. I don't see another option. It either I guess began or has always been there. Um, I mean that 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 sounds accurate. Am I am I wrong here, Alice? No, I hear what you're saying. You're you're saying that the third option would be that it began with cause or that it just began without cause. Is that the third option? Well, the first option is it's always existed. And then uh -huh. the two and three would be it either existed with no cause or it existed with, it began to exist with a cause or began to exist without a cause. So it came from something or it came from nothing. Hmm. So mm -hmm. that would be two and three. So okay. there are those three choices, or unless you can think of any other. I think there's things that we don't know how to think about, first of all, <laughs> like, like, but I, but I would say that, um, sure. Like for the, for the purposes of this conversation. Yeah. For, for the, for the limited amount that we do know now. Sure. Yeah. Like those three options can make sense to me. What about you, Ethan? You think those three options make sense? I mean, I, yeah, I can't think of any other ones. So yeah, I, I'd say that's fair. Okay, so we can narrow it down to those three, okay? So if we could somehow prove the evidence is that the universe began to exist, then it would, or, and it hasn't always existed, then we could go to the other option, right? But of how could we it? even, how could we even begin to prove that the universe began to exist at this point? Well, there, there's lots of, that, that's what, that's what the philosophy and science have done. You know, you think, you know, that's what guys like William Lane Craig, Ed, Ed Pezzer, they, you know, they talk about these arguments. So, so there's, you know, there's, there's two powerful philosophical arguments for why the universe began to exist. And there's, you know, a bunch of scientific evidence that the universe began to exist. Do you want to go over those or? Uh, sure. We, uh, I mean, we, we don't have a lot of time, but yeah, if we can summarize them, that would be great. Okay. Uh, well, if the universe has always existed, right? How many events will have occurred? Infinite. It always four, existed. Four. Yeah. So the, the number of events that have always existed before now will be infinite, right? Okay. So, now there's two problems with that 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 actual infinites don't exist so like if we add one event plus one event plus one event plus one event you'll never get an infinite number of events right how do we know that one you can't you can't get to infinity by successive addition one plus one plus one plus one right sure well, it would just go on for, yeah, in, infinitely. <laughs> right, because, yeah. Well, there can't be, an, do you understand? There can't be an infinite number of events before now because there's no such thing as an actual infinite. Hmm, I've not heard, I've not come across that before. It, that could be. Okay and, the, okay, and the second reason philosophically is that if there was an infinite number of events before now, 
you can never arrive at now. So it's like, imagine you're standing in a line and there's an infinite number of people standing in front of you to order food. And if I asked you, would you be able to ever order food if there's an infinite number in front of you? Hmm. When I hear infinite, numbers no longer exist almost is kind of what how my mind translates it, unless you could help right. with that. Like it's, not, it's not unlimited. It's not a it's not a quantifiable it's an it's it's numerical, but it's not an actual number, right? It's unlimited. Okay. Endless potential. So there are two reasons so two two reasons that philosophically the universe had to have a beginning. Because there cannot be an infinite number of events, and you could never traverse an infinite number of events to get to right now. Hmm. I'm so I'm kind of confused where you're going with this. Um, well, that that's and why like began to exist. Why would we rely on? Because philosophy, I personally wouldn't rely on philosophy as evidence. Um. Okay, well, do you want you want to go to the scientific evidence? Sure. We got the you got the redshift, which shows that there was an ultimate beginning point, and the universe is expanding. Right, so there has there was an actual you know it's just it's getting farther apart. So like I guess even Albert Einstein realized that there had to be a beginning point. You got the second law of thermodynamics, which shows that all you know energy is using up, and then if the universe was infinite into the past, the energy would have already been used up. Then you have the board Gupta-Blanken theorem, which is kind of states that all universes, if would all every single one would have an actual beginning. So there's a lot of scientific evidence too. So unfortunately, I don't know um, enough about those to yeah. properly uh, discuss them. Unfortunately. Ethan, you've been you've been an atheist for a while, right? Uh, five years, six years. And you're 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 trying to seek the truth, right? Absolutely. So, once you examine these arguments and look for the evidence, of course. Just, but that doesn't mean I've had time well, to examine every single argument. Well, listen, you know, you see, you, I have no problems with you. I like you. I think you're a real nice guy and everything, but. That's my problem that, you know, I feel like you'll just disagree with anything if it points in a certain direction. That's well, just my opinion. I mean, I see I've regularly changed my mind on things, though. I mean, the fact that I went from a right leaning conservative uh, Christian um, to a left leaning atheist, I think, is proof in and of itself that I changed my mind. And even over the past couple of years, as I've gotten more progressive, my mind continually changes when evidence presents itself. But if well, I just put it, I just presented about five arguments for you, and you just said, "Well, I don't know." Well, that's the thing. I I can't just accept what you're telling me and say, "Okay, he's he's telling me the truth." You know, there. I do. I, I genuinely. Do, I don't know enough about the arguments you're presenting to hold an opinion on them. So I'm not saying you're well, wrong, and I'm not saying you're right. I'm saying I don't know. Well, I've heard, I know I've heard you say that the comp's a terrible argument. So I, I, I don't think it's stuff. a very good I, argument. I, right? We don't even know. No offense, but you, you, you don't really even understand the 
the arguments. So I understand the kalam. I mean, we can continue with okay, I mean, why I reject the second premise, if you'd like. Well, that's what I was just talking about. The universe began to exist, and I just gave you about five arguments. Okay, so then I would need to study those before I can form an opinion on them. The point I was making was that we still don't know whether or not the universe began to exist. Because as we get closer to the, quote, beginning of the universe time slows down. Therefore, we don't know if it had an actual beginning. I just gave you two philosophical arguments why it can't be infinite into the past. And I gave you three scientific arguments. I will do this. I will review them. Um, someone just sent a super chat, Kenneth Leonard. I hope this caller calls again next week so we can talk about his evidence. Uh, would you be Kenneth open? Kenneth is talking to me many. I, I've talked to Kenneth probably like eight times. You have? So he, he knows that. Yeah, I've talked to him a bunch of times. Um, watching what we discussed the moral argument a bunch of times. Well, I'm not I sure. I don't think Kenneth. You what? Kenneth either. Uh, all right. You know, that's all right. It's all good. Well, uh, I like I said, Kenneth would love to have you come back on. Uh, next week to talk about it if you're open to it. Um, before we wrap up, Alice, did you have anything uh, on this? Or any last questions? Um, no questions. I think I'm just, my curiosity is peaked to, to explore this more. I've definitely gone through, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, Ethan, that um, there's so many uh, areas that our curiosity uh, gravitates toward. And sometimes like, physics and theoretical physics just isn't it to the to the depth that we'd be able to have an, a, a fully formed opinion on a lot of these things. That said, I also think that um, these questions are ones that I personally enjoy exploring. I haven't in depth, but I, I appreciate it. I just, yeah, I, I feel like I just can't, I, I also think that I just don't know enough. Like I don't know enough about the concept of infinity as a mathematical principle or a philosophical principle. So it's hard for me also to have a, a fair, what would feel like a fair or intelligent conversation about it because it's something that um, I'm just open for any of the possibilities, but not convinced uh, necessarily. And I'm not sure there's a way to be. So um, yeah, but I'm curious, I'm always willing to learn. So I definitely appreciate this call and it's definitely food for thought that I'll be taking with me. And Joe, I can assure you, yeah, I will be uh, listening back hey, to this um, and going over the yeah, information. Ethan, I, I'm sorry, Ethan. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to be rude to you, buddy. So I oh, I didn't think you were being rude at all. Okay, um, yeah, I just you know I I just don't like it when you know I, you know you try to present the evidence and then eventually imagine you trying to convince me of something and I just go ah no I don't believe you or I'm not convinced and so you know I like to have like a real you know, where I, I think our psychological desires sometimes get in our way uh, of, of the actual evidence. That's just my personal opinion. But uh, I thought, Alice, you're real nice. I appreciate you talking to me and everything. So Yeah, I appreciate your time. Uh, Kenneth would definitely be uh, more equipped for this conversation than I would. So, again, totally welcome to call back next week. Um, I appreciate the time you spent with us. And like I said, I will be reviewing everything you supplied and uh, trying to learn a little bit more about it. Yeah. Thank you, Joe. Yeah, go, uh, go look at some, 
yeah, go look up some William Lane Craig stuff. And I know you're not probably a big fan, but you know he he's got he's the obviously the master of the clown. So. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much, Joe. All right. Thanks, guys. Well, that was your introduction into the Kalam cosmological argument. Kalam, yeah, basically the the. So I'm I'm definitely gonna have to do a lot more googling. Um, <laughs> yeah, a lot more googling. I had no idea this. I've never heard of this before. Yeah, it's uh, extremely it's, popular in the theist hmm. uh, circles. They the Kalam, uh, the ontological, the argument from contingency. Uh, those are, I'd say, the three most common ones I hear that theists find compelling. Hmm, okay. Uh, it seems to have a, it seems like the three, what are they, tenets, principles? The, the, the three arguments, Premises. yeah, if you have a problem with the first one, then the other two seem to fall short is, is the impression that I'm retaining right now, which, yeah, yeah. I have a bunch of questions about the first tenet, so. I would, yeah, I, I feel like it's safe to say off of my limited introduction to this that I would be very skeptical of the rest and of it as a whole. <laughs> I'm glad you had the opportunity to learn something on the perspective. Me too, me too. And I will be, I will be looking into this more. Um, it's been a while since I've like swam in those waters. Um, I definitely have a bunch of books in my library about them, but yeah, like I, I, it'd be fun to revisit it and learn more about this. <laughs> ah, shit. I just dropped my oh, mouse. No. Sorry, one oh, second. No. <laughs> That's okay. Crap. Okay, there we go. All right, let's get to our next caller. Uh, this next one has is regular of the show, uh, wants to discuss the importance of faith. Uh, Mike, you are on with uh, Ethan and Alice. How are you? How are you doing, Ethan? It's Mike. Hey, Mike. Hey, how you been? Hey, good, man. How you been? I am doing pretty good, thank you. So, Alice, just a little background on, on Mike. And Mike, please correct me if I'm getting anything wrong. Uh, he uh, struggled with addiction. He went into church uh, one day. He was an atheist. Um, and he prayed. And he was able to quit his addiction. And that's when he gave his heart to Jesus and became a follower of God. Is that Am I representing your position accurately? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot more to it, but right. sure. It'll work. Um, the nutshell so version. <laughs> why? Yeah. Why, why do you think faith is important, Mike? You know, I, I drive a truck and today I had a moment. I go all over the country and I, and I get to see the beauty of the earth and the sky and the sea and, you know, the cities. And, and today I had, it's like, I have these moments where I just kind of get, I get, I just get stopped inside and like, you know, if, if, where did all this come from? Like, how did all this get here? You know, we argue about the universe, like the guy was just talking about, if it's infinite or finite. And, and it's like, you know, where did it all come from? And then I, I like kind of get this moment with God and it just, it's like, it just, I don't know who else or what other thing could bring all of this into being like in the order that it's in 
so that humans can be here. I can be on this road driving this truck right now and there'd be trees all around me and air to breathe and, and a dark sky with a moon in it and, and just all these, all this whole thing. And then I wonder like, if God did all this, where did God come from? How did God get there? Like, how, how is this all even real, right? And, and I, and I kind of get stuck in that moment and I can get lost there. I, I can get like pretty far gone in that thought. You know, but mm. then I have to realize I'm I'm here. I live. I breathe. I drive a truck. I get to see the whole country, and and it's and it's like how, like how did this all happen? And the only thing mm. I could ever come up with is God did it, and and I don't think we will ever really understand how He did it. As long as we're on this earth, you know, we have to have faith in God to believe in God. You know, until we come to him face to face, we won't ever really understand how this all happened and why. And and, and just the, and the questions that we all come up with just as we live our lives. Because life is a huge mystery. Everything, and then I, the more I live and the more I breathe, the more mysterious life becomes to me. Because there's so much of life that caters to the care of humans. So and I don't think that we ever really think about it that way. Do you, what what would you say if let's say tomorrow we were able to explain how everything got here and it was all naturally explained? Would you still believe in God at that point? And I still think that God created a natural order too. He made it so that the tree would come up from the ground. And that you have to put water on that tree to make it grow. Like, who else, like, how could a tree do that on its own? And how does water know how to make that tree grow? Like, these things don't, they, they don't do it on their own. They didn't come up with it on their own. Something made it do that. You know, fruit in a, a, coming from a tree or a vegetable coming out of a ground. You know, I don't think that the seed itself, right? Where does that seed come from? How does that seed know what to do? Well, I, I don't, I, I can't explain that. All I know is this stuff comes up out of the ground for human consumption and, and it, and it sustains our bodies and the leaves on the trees give us, you know, it, it filters the air and it, it helps with oxygen in the air. And, you know, we make our houses out of wood and all these things that, that we see with our eyes, where did it all come from? How did it know to do that? Do we ever ask ourselves these questions? Well, no, it's, I, I agree. We should be asking the questions, but what if Mike, like what if there was a natural explanation uh, to all of this? Would you still believe in God at that point? I would, because I think that God made things as you know, he gave us that word natural. He made things natural. Things come from the earth, right? It's a natural thing. It's, but there's still a source behind nature that we can't explain so then, other than God. How do you think if, if there's no other explanations and it, 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 it's God, then how, how did God get here? Like what, what created God? That's exactly right. I, I see. And, and I don't, I, I've asked myself that question a hundred times at least since 
since I've been a Christian. Where did God come from? And I don't know, I don't think that we will ever be able to answer that question because when it comes to what we were talking about earlier, finite versus infinite, if God has always existed outside of time for, for infinity, like he's never not been there. The only thing that has not been here is us, right? We were created. This earth hasn't always been here either, right? And, and the resources and all these things. It's like, you know, what do you do with that question? I don't think that our brains are big enough to, to ever really come to an infinite answer. We, we're too finite to even figure that out. I'm going to die in 30 or 40 years. Well, God's hopefully you live as long around... and healthy as possible. What's that now? I said, hopefully you live a, a, a as long and as healthy as possible. That's right. But I know that I'm not infinite until I leave this body and I get in the presence of infinity, which is God himself. There's nothing else that's in, that's, that is infinite, but God, everything else has a, a finite entity to it where it was created at a certain point and it will either end at a certain point or it won't, but he is the only infinite entity that we can't explain that we can't understand. We have a Bible that we sit here and we try to tell ourselves is enough to understand God with, but we really get honest about infinity and the vastness of God. That Bible is just a blueprint. It's like a skeleton. Really what I take the Bible as now, I quit trying to tell people that have a spiritual life outside of that, that God can't exist in other things. Um, you know, because that's what we're just, just shoved down our throats. That this is all God is. This is all God will ever be is this book. And um, I, I have a hard time with that today. The more spiritual I become, I, the, the Bible serves its purpose. And, and there's a lot to it that helps us understand this life, this world, and the history through a religious lens. But there's more to God than that. Um, so that question. Christians aren't willing to face on a scale of one to 10, 10 being most confident, how confident are you that God exists? Very. 10. What would it take to shake your confidence in that? For me to not believe in God. Or to doubt, not necessarily not to believe, but just to start to question whether God exists or not. Well, ever since I was an atheist and then God, you know, I asked God, said, God, if you're really there, if there's such a thing as you, God, then you're big enough to show me that on your own. I don't need no man to convince me. I don't need to sit here in my disbelief anymore. Show me. And he did through the spirit I, and that's the only way and since that moment i can never say that there is no god and that my faith um my faith to be shaken to to, to try to like deny that there's a god because there's because my because my faith like 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 my faith shouldn't determine if there's a god or not god is there if i have faith or not God is there if you have faith or not. He's always there. 
And my faith doesn't negate God or make God real. God is God. And that's another thing that we miss as humans is we think because we believe or we don't believe God exists or he doesn't. God exists whether we want him to or not. And I, and I, I, I don't know if I can ever not think that way anymore since I was so dark and so like my heart was just, just vacant. So anything that had to do with God and spirituality. Are you saying that um, there is nothing that could even get you to question whether a God exists or not? Not anymore. I, and if there is, I guarantee, uh, you know, something in this life will probably bring it to me one day. Like it happens to all faith Christians where their faith is shaken and rattled. But for the past 20, well, since 1998, I haven't ever been a day since 1998 that I have questioned if God exists since April of 98. So we have not one day. Uh, we have a question from our audience. What does through okay. what does through his spirit mean? And how does that contrast showing himself visibly? Like showing himself through his spirit. Well, if we want to break God down, God is a spirit. And he came to me and he said, it was just like, I am God. I am, I exist. And I was just like, okay. Like, it was like in that moment, I came to believe in Jesus. And, and I was, it was just that because he did it like, he, he just showed me in, internally. It wasn't something that I could sit here and say happened like visibly, you know, like you and me talking right now, if I was sitting there next to you and I could see you, all I could do was just know, okay, God is God. And God doesn't quit existing because I don't have faith. And he did that. I didn't, I can't make God up. I can't create God. God exists because he just does. And the whole so, spiritual side of that's how we know we know God. Are we spiritual? Because the, the, the main thing that I'm learning about God is, do I have God in my life? Like, not am I some great, mighty spiritual person with all the answers, but is God with me? Yeah, so, he is. Real quick, Mike. Um, we get a lot okay. of people with, um, you know, uh, defining God in many different ways. So how do we tell the okay. difference between God's quote spirit and someone's imagination? That's a good question because uh, someone's imagination, they try to, they, they try to like limit God to what they think he is or what he isn't. And what I've learned from people that are Christians and people that are Buddhists and people that are Hindus and people that are whatever spirituality they claim they have, right? Is that you got to just let God be God. You can't form God into what you want him to be. And, and that's so what I, we do. That churches are. God is this. God is this. This is what God is. And we, we mold an image of God and we tell people that's what he is. And we don't let people say, let God show you who he is on his own. 
Let God become who God is to you individually. Let God do it himself. Here, but no, I'm going to tell you who so, God is, and you better believe this is all God is, or you're going to burn in hell. Like, I don't to, believe in that message anymore. Okay. Uh, Alice, that I believe people you are going to burn in to hell. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I had two questions for you. So, um, okay. Uh, so, two questions. So, bear with me. First question Why is it the Christian image of God that you feel? personally is the truest and not an older, more ancient idea of God or a more modern, like, like a, the Muslim version of God. Um, and also because you're so convinced that God exists and that God revealed himself to you through the spirit, why do you think that this God does not reveal itself to other people? Like I earned, I gave God a test too. So we have sort of flip-flop stories. Um, I was a believer my whole life. Uh, but never experienced God. And I gave God a test and asked, like, if you're real, like, show me and nothing happened. So I'm curious, the, the, again, in summary, the two questions are, why is it the Christian version of God that you feel is the truest? And also, why do you think that this God does not reveal himself to other earnestly seeking people? I think when it comes to thinking that the Christian God I don't like to even call God a Christian God anymore because okay. he's revealed himself to me in so many ways through so many different people that, that are, like I said, I said, Buddhist, I talk to Buddhist people and I meditate. I, I listen to what they say. And I, cause I want to see what they say. Like, how did they find, how do they call God? How do they call God what they call God? And so I do what they do. Right. And, and I find God through meditation and and through just different avenues mm. but jesus as it has been the main source of making me into the person that i am today mm. like believing in jesus christ that i call him a supreme being that, that there is no god above him he is that god and it's just because of the personal relationship i have with him that I can't get from nowhere else. Like so no Buddhist it, meditation can do for me what Jesus does for me. It does what it does, but it doesn't do what Jesus does, right? Sure. Forgive, so what it heals and comforts and and right. Would it be fair to say that um, that what I'm hearing is you're saying that you believe that God exists in certain element to a certain extent in all the different religions or spiritual practices, like God is God, like what you said, God just is, but that because the, it was in the Christian expression that it first resonated with you, Christianity holds a dearer place in your heart that you've since broadened from to explore the other ideas of God. Is that, would that be accurate to say? Yeah. And, and, and honestly, a lot about Christianity today just because of the hypocrisy and just the fake BS that goes with being a Christian today, you know, I, I have a hard time with a lot of it because it doesn't reflect who God really is. It's just religion. It's just people trying to be something that they're not. I can't mm -hmm. be that no more. Right. And I don't have no, to, I'm with I don't you. to myself <laughs> to people anymore either. Right. Um, yeah. And people tell me that I'm a heretic and I'm this, and I'm like, why do you call me heretic all you want? But at least I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not a phony. You know, because <laughs> no, I, my theology I doesn't you. match yours anymore. 
So what about the second part? Because I've had such. What about um, the second part? Why do you think God does not reveal himself to, to everyone? And that's a mystery as well. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm like, my heart, I really, I don't know if you, what your heart was, like, because the matter of the heart, when it comes to God, is important. Our heart has to be like, okay, I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to fall flat on my face and and you know what i mean and like face of infinite god in my finite self and realize i'm nothing like i had to do that to get what Mm -hmm. i was after i had to become willing to just be empty and to be nothing um Mm -hmm. and and even in my arrogance with god and my cocky arrogance and my pride and you know i Mm. would i would sense it in my spirit like if i want to hear from god I got to change my attitude towards him. I, I got to be a certain way for God to speak to me. I can't just just, just think that God's going to answer me in my human pride either. He does, you know, because he's God and he wants something from us too. And he just wants us to acknowledge that he's God. Um, I just think so that if it were that important to God. Hmm. If I didn't hear you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Alice. I just think if it were that important to God to be acknowledged and to be believed in, he would meet people where they're at and prove himself in whatever ways he knew that each individual would be convinced. Um, I know for myself, speaking from my heart, I desperately needed God to be real. I could not have been more humble, more earnest, more sincere. Um, I had everything to lose. I had my family to lose. I had my purpose to lose. I had my life. I had everything to lose. And I desperately needed God to be real. And like he he just wasn't. Uh, there was nothing. I felt absolutely nothing. Nothing happened. I there was there was nothing. And I wasted 21 years, the first 21 years of my life pretending and and earnestly acting in faith, believing by faith to have faith. Um, Because according to your faith, let it be, right, is what Jesus says. So I did everything from such an earnest place. I knew nothing else. You know, that was all I, I knew. And I knew different expressions of Christianity, but God was all I knew. And I was so earnest and nothing happened. And I, I you know, I, I know other Christians have challenged me being like, oh, well, it's because God has a bigger plan for your life. And he's going to reveal himself to you later in life. And you're going to have this awesome conversion story of how you were an atheist for a little bit. And then God brought you back. Maybe it'll take a horrible car accident for God to bring you back. And you're gonna have a near death experience. And it's like, why would God put me through all that? If God is God and omnipotent love, if God is omnipotent love, and it's so important to him that that we know his love, why would he not meet us where we're at, which is how he made us, allegedly, to express himself in a way that convinces us without toying with us, playing games of faith? You know, why? why? And to add on and to I that. don't, you know, you're the only person, I'm sorry to cut you off, but you're the only person I've ever heard that happened to. You know, I'm in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous all the time. And I, and I deal with people that have major faith problems, right? And I tell everybody, they say the same thing because they've never, they didn't believe and they want to experience God. They want to believe. And I tell them, I was like, well, if he hasn't come to you yet, just wait, he will. And I'm telling you, within 
a month, two months after these people earnestly seek God out and give it their all, they come back with, wow, yeah, God met me where I was at, in my need, in my addiction, in the lowest time of my life, and showed me that, that he loves me. And I deal with the, I mean, people that stick needles in their arms and sell their bodies all day, all night. And, and these people are coming to have faith in God. Um, and so I don't, I don't have an answer. You, you just floored me. Totally mm. floored me. And um, by the way, God is still welcome to make experience. himself known. Like I, like I, I remain in a place of like, if, if God, if any God is there, goddess, God's spirit guides, if anything is there, like I've, I've always maintained an openness. It's like, if, if there's anything there that cares about me or loves me or, or wants me to have a relationship with them, make yourself known, you know, but nothing right. ever happens. And I'm just unwilling to lie to myself that anything's happening that is not explained by other means, you know, like I, I could say, you know, I could sit here right now live on this show with you and Ethan and everyone watching and be like, God, if you're real, you know, like prove yourself. And maybe my light could flicker on my lamp. I have some, I have a very old antique lamp and the lights flicker sometimes, you know, I, if I were faith inclined, I'd be like, see, that's proof of God. Or maybe, you know, a loud bang would happen. It's probably my raccoons on the roof, you know, like there's just so many other, I, I need, if, if God is real and he knows my heart and he knows the earnestness with which I sought him and would continue to seek him if I were still willing to spend my finite life doing that, which I'm not, I've given up. Um, but God's welcome to pleasantly surprise me. And he hasn't. So I, it's not that I'm in, a, in an arrogant place of, um, I hear what you're saying, you know, but like, and to be fair, I have also not dealt with addiction or alcoholism. I've not had to sell my body. I've not had, I've not been to the, to a lot of the very, grievous depths of humanity. I've, I've been very fortunate in life. I've had my share of hardships as everyone does, but, um, you know, I, I, I feel like there's something to be said for, um, people who come to God as, uh, previous non-believers and people like myself and like Ethan who grew up believers who left because God either is no longer or never was real to them. Um, so I think, I don't know, I guess, I guess I just felt like it was important for me to acknowledge to not just to you, Mike, but to also anyone else listening that, um, it's not always arrogance that makes people not believe in God. It's deep life shattering humility. It's desperation. It's, it's, it's doesn't get any more humble pie than, um, desperately needing God to be real and, if it, I'm willing to play to entertain the idea that there is a God, but it is not a loving God. It is no. not a God that could interfere so no. with suffering. Hang on, Mike, let her finish. Well, it's not, okay. it's if, if there is any sort of um, powerful being, a creator, an intelligent designer, it's certainly not one who's omnipotent as in all powerful and also loving. There's just zero evidence for that. You know, why, why, why do, why would this God let parents burn, their, take, put out their cigarettes on their human infant children? Where is God in there? Why would God let children be raped? Why would God let the rape victims then be stoned? You know, why, where is God? Where is this omnipotent love? So either there is a God and he's a sadist or he's loving, but not omnipotent and all powerful. 
that's where yeah. I'm at. And uh, Mike, we only got about a minute left. So what were your thoughts on that? Um, so there, there's a man that, that I've met and he shared something similar with me that, you know, he has a hard time with God because God doesn't do certain things for him that he does for other people. Mm-hmm. And he says that he constantly just has to go back to, he has to just say, God exists whether I feel him or not. Um, I've mm. only met one person like that. Um, and, 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 and this guy is like legit sober. Like he's in the program with me and stuff. He said, he's never heard God's voice. Um, he's never experienced like great epiphanies and stuff like that. He said, but he believes in God and, and, well, and, 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 he, and his story, it helped yeah. me. It help, okay, so it helps me to realize, like, God is, he comes to people in many different ways. And some people, you know, he, he, he stays more of a mystery than he does for other people. And this guy is okay with that. Um, mm. And like I said, he's one guy. And, like, you're one person that has told me what you just did, and it totally floored me. Um, hmm. you know, because you still have it. You're like, like this face alone isn't enough for you. You still don't, you don't have that. Um, and, and you know, and, and I can't tell you to have it because if God doesn't, it, you know, if you're, if you don't have the faith to believe that God is and the faith alone isn't enough, I, you know, then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if anything I say or anything God does for me will ever resonate with you you know because no and that's okay just faith alone so i want to give you some homework mike if that's possible if you could next time you're you're praying or, or talking with god if you could find out what he needs you to say to us to convince us or ask him to reveal himself to us because i you know if God reveals himself. I'll be the first one to change my name to your friendly neighborhood Christian. Um, but <laughs> I, I would need something compelling. So would you uh, be willing to do that for me? Well, sure. And, and as long as you're willing to pray as well, like God, if I, I just ask this man to pray for me and open your heart up, this man's praying for me, God, and make him a fool or don't. Because, because now you're, you know, it, you're, it's like, God, he's putting me to the test too. Like, God, are my words, do my words mean anything? When you tell me to speak about you, when, when you tell me to put my, my testimony out there, God, what does it do for people? Does it help people believe in you? Or are my words just empty, just meaningless words with no point to them? And, you know, and, and I don't want that. I want my words to have power and meaning. And, and, and I will pray, brother. I'll pray right. for you right now if you want me to, right now over the air. Well, we don't have, um, we do got to wrap up. I'm not afraid up, to do that. But uh, I am going to ask you, yeah, if you could do that. And uh, as always, it's nice talking to you. I appreciate you taking the time to call in today, Mike. Yeah, thank you, Ethan. Thanks for calling me, man. Thanks for messaging me and, and making me a part of this. Always appreciate your time. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Right, nice man. chatting right, with you. Yep.
All right, before we get to our last caller, we're running way over time. So That's far, okay. <laughs> are your favorite are your favorite calls the ghost ones? You so know, I really enjoyed each different one for different reasons. <laughs> this Good, last I'm one, fine. this last one, I, 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 you know, I could, I was aware in my body there was a lot more um, emotion, whereas other ones it was more like mind of curi curiosity, and this one was like, no, like I deeply resonate with with these things that Mike is talking about. It's just I ended up in a different place, but not because I was any less earnest or any less desperate. Um, you know, it's just, it didn't happen for me the way it doesn't happen for many people. Um, and the way it does happen for people like Mike and other believers, you know, and so I, I do see an evolutionary benefit to faith, um, to why humans are, have the capacity for faith, you know, like I do think it helps us, um, pull ourselves up and get out of ditches. And I think it gives us a purpose and a sense of meaning that makes us want to live and want to procreate, want to be kind. I think that there are a lot of evolutionary advantages that the capacity for faith um, lends itself to, but I've also found those outside of faith and in far more abundance personally. Um, you know, and I think that that's where everyone's unique life path uh, influences them. A lot of people who grew up faithless life just got better for them coincidentally or not when they had faith. And for a lot of people who grew up faithful, we felt dead and lost and depressed and broken inside in faith and felt so much more alive and happy and free outside of faith as atheists. So it's like, I don't know, you know, I think, I think a, a kind of where I land with it is like teach their own, like, yes, I would like to encourage a more rigorous skeptical worldview because I do think that faith is holding us back in so many ways and causing egregious harm to so many people. But I also see that, you know, would our species have survived this long without it? Probably not, but that doesn't mean we need to stay. Doesn't mean we need to linger here. We can keep progressing. <laughs> yes. uh, so originally we were going to take this last caller uh, next week, but he sent me a message. He really wants to talk to you. So we only have a couple minutes, but we're okay. going to bring him on. Uh, okay. Jim, you are on with Alice and Ethan. How are you? Hey, Ethan, Alice. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm just going to cut straight to the point and kind of go through because we don't have a lot of time. So, Alice, I think this is actually the perfect segue uh, into a question that I'm dying to ask you. What is your take on flow state and higher states of consciousness? Mm. So con the field of consciousness is a big, exciting question mark, exclamation point to me. Um, the short answer and the bottom line answer is I don't know. But it's a field that I'm endlessly fascinated mm. by because uh, I think I think consciousness is... Um, Oh, yeah, it doesn't get more fascinating to me than that. The human experience is all consciousness. And so I think that there's so much to be um, <sighs> explored there. Uh, do you have a more specific question about about consciousness? Uh, well, well, maybe let's look at it this way, right? So typically people can can enter into a flow state right or something yeah. to the effect like of, a creative flow uh, state you're talking like they're in the zone or something to that effect yeah we can call yeah. it a creative flow state we can call it a work flow state we can call it in the zone right sure and mm -hmm. i wonder if people including myself to that to that effect would equate that to a, a religious experience even though it's a higher state of consciousness because you can walk away from that same experience and not experience god or or, or mm -hmm. a god 
my air quotes here. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess like what's your, uh, is, is there any take on, on flow state and how that may contribute to the religious experience? Yeah. So I think uh, for me, I know when I'm in a writing zone, like I, I'm very familiar with a flow state in the, in, the, in the way that it relates to my creativity, which usually manifests in writing. When I'm in a zone, it feels transcendent and timeless and noetic and so many other qualities that people would ascribe to a mystical experience, like a, a, a spiritual experience or a meditative mm -hmm. state. Um, so yes, like I, I love that. It, I think it infuses my life with meaning. It infuses my life with purpose and wonder and joy and pleasure. Um, even if what I'm writing about isn't particularly pleasurable, I feel so much sense of purpose when I'm doing it. Um, that I'm right where I need to be and I'm living the fullest expression of myself and I love it. Um, other people get that through music. Some people get that through running, you know, where, where, however it is we get our flow state and into our zone. Like, yes, that is a very, what some might call a spiritual experience. I don't believe in spirits. And so I would not call it a spiritual experience. For me, um, the verbiage that I would, in my language, that I would feel more comfortable with that resonates more with me is like, it's a, transcendent experience. I'm transcending stress. I'm transcending hunger. I'm transcending sleep um, because I'm in such a deep state of enjoyment and purpose um, when I'm in that flow state. And so it is very, um, again, going back to the evolutionary advantage of what that state is, it helps our species survive because in that flow state, we find mm -hmm. senses of meaning. We come out of those flow states with things to offer others, whether it's books or songs or dances or inventions. Um, I think inventors tap into flow state on such a practical level that it's, I, I love it. Um, so I think that I could, I would argue that that flow state is just as spiritual as it is completely evolutionarily practical, um, which to me negates any sense of spirituality about it because it, it, but it doesn't make it any less wondrous to me. It makes it more wonderful because you don't need any faith to experience a good flow state and to see um, the positive effects that flow states have on humanity and on on the world. So that's that would be my take. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's, that's great. And uh, I, I think to a point, I would even I would agree with you. And uh, and by the way, I, I am a theist, right? And so like that's the that's the interesting part. Um, and then mm -hmm. I would also take it a step further and say, at some point, flow states are almost. This is where we get to the personal relationships with God, right? Or mm. whatever. This uh, flow state is so personalized that everyone can can ideally achieve it in their whatever whatever means that it is. But uh, I appreciate it, Alice. Uh, if we continue much longer, we will summon Shannon Hugh. Uh, I'm certain sure that is already <laughs> summon her. Um, yes, people in the chat are already asking for Shannon Q. Uh, <laughs> So I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Sorry, couldn't get into all of it. I, I had some other obligations. So thank you so much. No, Jim, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for waiting Thanks, on hold. Jim. And I hope you have a wonderful evening. <laughs> Bye. What'd you think of your first episode? Oh, this was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I'd love it? to do it again if you ever want to have me back. Yeah, no, it was um, very fun. Fuck yeah. The audience loved you. <laughs> I loved you. I was going to ask you, after the show, because I never want to put someone on the spot on the air and be like, Hey, you want to do this again? 
Um, oh, but yeah, I was no, I'm totally down. To... Oh, yes. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah, no, this is fun. I love having these kinds of conversations. And it's the stuff that um that our dear friend Dave, my who who we both love, might call yeah, navel gazing type of type of topics, which I totally understand why it doesn't appeal to people or it's not the way he wants to spend his time here. Um, but for me, I do enjoy these more abstract, unprovable, could how do we know? Like I love, I love to wonder. And um, I think what what continues to make me a skeptic is I'm not content to settle on an answer because I'm not sure there's a way we'll ever know when we know. Like, how do you know when you've reached the end? You know, like we're not infinite beings, I don't think. So, um, but it brings me personally great joy to explore. It didn't always. Sometimes it would make me depressed and angry to ponder these things because it is answerless and so vexing. But um, I've gotten to a place where for the most part, it just brings me so much joy to, you know, hear crazy stories like like that um, Christine who had, a you know, a man like breathing down her neck. Like, what the fuck? What is that? Right, you know, freaky. it's freaky. I'm not content to be like, oh, it's a literal ghost as in like the spirit of a person who's trapped in some sort of purgatory ish realm. But what is it? You know, like I I I love to wonder about these things through a very more scientific lens than not, but also wanting to expand the scientific lens, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, I want to thank everyone who, who tuned in. Make sure you like and subscribe. Alice, thank you so much for doing this. Thank um, you. I want to thank our patrons real quick. Cindy Plaza, Left Right Left, Kenneth Leonard, Sky, Jump and Shoot, Oz, Secular Rarity, Philip Leach, Caitlin Beyond, Toast, Richard Gilliver, Sunset Sarge, and meet Matthew, Ray Sylvester, and Kyle Brewer. Thank you so much for your patronage. This Thursday, the pickup line will be back at 9 p.m. with Hannah Vaughn. And Alice, what do you... Oh, and one more thing. We are doing the Discord after show. It'll just be me. So if you're interested, join the YFNA Discord. Link in the description. That's where we go and talk about the, the show after the show. Um, Alice, yeah, maybe I'll maybe about? I'll join next time. Yeah, <laughs> I'll learn awesome. the Discord. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like such an old fart these days. Um, Discord is yeah. confusing. I I, I was overwhelmed. If, yes, it's so overwhelming. <laughs> like... It's clunky. But fortunately, uh, Kristen, aka best name ever, built my entire Discord, set it up for me, and manages it. So I, I I know it's really sweet because I. Like my videos and Twitter posts automatically get posted in there. She's done all this cool stuff with it. So thank you, Kristen. Thanks, um, Kristen. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll figure it out. Coming up that you wanted to talk about? Um, I'll be speaking at Free Flow in March, uh, which is a a conference of free thinkers in going on in Florida. Um, that's the only thing left on my roster, other than just some much needed holiday relaxing time. Um, I'm one of those atheists that still celebrates Christmas. I love it. It's like to, I've been trying to convince my boyfriend it's actually a pagan holiday with the tree and the lights. Um, yeah, because it is. But, yeah. yeah, I. So I'm looking forward to just some proper chill time. Um, if anyone's, I, I also write quite a bit. I've been writing a lot more. Um, I have some new stuff that's going to be coming out within the next several weeks, uh, new articles and blog posts. So if anyone's interested in reading what I have to say, um, you can you can always follow me on Twitter at Alice Food 
Um, I'm more active on Instagram though. And on Instagram, my handle is just my name, Alice Gretchen. Um, so if you follow me there, I will all, I will share anything that I, that I post or that's published. Um, and then you can follow along with me that way. And then I'll also soon be posting a link to free flow. Oh yes. Someone just, just put that there in the chat. Um, yeah, I'm super excited. So, and thank you again, Ethan, so much for having me on. This was so much fun. <laughs> oh yeah, thanks for doing this. Alice, if you could stay on the line for just one moment, uh, yeah. I'll see everyone in Discord uh, and have a good week. Yeah.